Well, I tell you what, I promise you one thing. That's probably the only church in Jessup who played that video today. <laughs> How y'all doing? It is my birthday. I am 53 years young. That's right. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I have, I've enjoyed a good day so far. Hope you have. But it is my birthday, January the 2nd, 1958. Um trying to think it was was it in the afternoon mama had me or was it in the morning I can't remember I guess she could tell you though couldn't she yeah I don't remember to be honest with you so I guess really technically I have turned 53 but I'm working on 54 now ain't that right you know and and really y'all I've I've all I say I've always most of my adult life I've always been a year ahead and, uh, but I think that my, my, my body and my brain is kind of more in sync these days. And so I now know how old I am. I'm 53. And I'm glad to share my birthday with y'all. I can't think of um, really any announcements to make other than we'll be here Friday. And, uh, and we'll go from there. But um, let's see. We got stuff for the kids this morning? I think we do. Yeah, Farrell's doing some kid stuff. Well, hey, Suzanne, I'm going to talk about you in a minute. Y'all give Suzanne a hand. Suzanne Eason. You're responsible for what happens today, okay? Yeah, I'm going to tell you that story in just a bit. But it's great to see you. We'll probably have some more people filtering in and uh, that sort of thing. But um, I tell you, I'm excited about 2011, y'all. I'm telling you. uh, (laughs) I really am. I'm going to say some things this morning. I hope that resonates in your spirit. But uh, we're going to have a good time in the Lord this morning. And uh, so anyway, kids, you can go, I think. I think we're pretty good to go. Adults, you can hang around. Yeah. <laughs> I like that birthday song. I don't know about y'all, but I liked it. <laughs> we can play it again at the end if you want to, I guess. Yeah, for those of you who missed it. Yeah, wow. Has everybody had a good holiday season? Yeah, you guys, the Callies got to spend their holiday with Matt, and that's good. How many of y'all had folks come in to visit with you, huh? You even got along, that's better. Wow, you know, holidays brings out stress. Sometimes it's hard to get along during the holidays, but I'm glad you guys had a great time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that'll be that'll be all right. Have you got it on that computer? I don't think so. There it is. Now, for what those of you who don't know, the last couple Sundays we kind of been experimenting because we got a brand new digital projector. Our other one died last year, and we got new software to um, you know work everything with, and we got a new laptop computer back there that Sister Janie's working with, and so. We kind of experimenting and kind of learning as we go. Is that all right with y'all to learn as we go? That's a good thing. Okay. All right. What I was going to say this morning is is, is just kind of kind of to get you there. Uh, we are going into 2011, and um, back in October, I think it was, Suzanne came one Sunday morning, and it was right after the um, beginning of the Hebrew New Year. And she shared a scripture with us. And when she did, I'm telling you, that thing resonated within me. And it kind of just, it kind of, it got me where I live, so to speak. And I haven't been able to get rid of it. And you know, that's the way it is with a, a word from the Lord, something that's genuine. You know, it'll get in your spirit. Sometimes it's, it's really positive things. And sometimes he can do it like trying to get you to change something, you know, trying to encourage you to, to give up or to surrender or whatever. And so, but, but either way, whenever the Lord speaks to your spirit, it kind of gets in there and it simply won't let go. God's not going to, you know, and maybe this is just the first thing we need to say this morning, is God's not going to let you go. You know, a lot of us, and we, and we, we, talk, about, we talk about the past some, and I hope we don't dredge it up too much to cause us to, to over-sorrow about the past, but the thing is, uh, we, we learned a lot about there, and we've been through a lot of things in the past, and you may be going through stuff now, and chances are you probably are, but God's not going to let go of you. 
You know, this is the way I phrase that lots of times, is that heaven's investment is so heavy in your life. God's not going, he's, he's not into making an investment and allowing that to just slip out of the way. You know, the blood of Jesus is far too precious for God to just let you go because you give up or because you feel like quitting or because you don't feel like you have the energy or the strength or the resolve to go forward. But heaven's investment is so strong in you. God, when He makes an investment, He demands a return. Do you know that? And the joy of that now, sometimes it's a real pain, okay? But the joy of that is that when, when you can participate with God in the things that He's doing in your life, and, and, and He begins to, or, or, or that investment that He's made begins to rise to the surface, it's a blessing to you and other people as well. I remember, I think it was uh, New Year's night, Janie, was, she was working and I stayed with uh, the boys so my daughter and my son-in-law could go to a, a, a job party that they had to go to. And we've got this little two-year-old grandson. His name's Aston. And Aston's a little toddler, and he doesn't speak, you know, a lot. He just, he'll kind of grunt and point. And he'll come get you by the finger and take you where he wants you to go and that sort of thing. But anyway, his brother had a little blanket. And we were up on the couch, and his brother had a blanket, and we were watching TV. Well, Aston didn't have one. And you know how it is with, with brothers sometimes, or sisters or siblings. They're not too good about sharing stuff. Maybe it was different at your house. No, chances not. And so Aston sees this blanket laying over kind of in the corner in, in the midst of a pile of the day's activities, toys and stuff, and it was just kind of mingled up in the pile of toys and that sort of thing. And so Aston goes over there. And he grabs the blanket, and he begins to pull it, and he was going to take it from where it was over to where I was on the couch. And he, there was some resistance to the big old blanket. And so he would grunt, and then he'd look at me like, you know, you're my grandpa. If you love me, you can come get this blanket and help me. But I just sat there, and I said, pull hard. Pull. Pull it. And he pulled it again, and it went just a little way, and I could see the expression on his face. You know, like, I'm doing this thing. And then it stopped again. He could, it went so far, it wouldn't go any further because it was still stuck. And he looked up at me, and he just kind of grunted. Ugh. I said, pull it. Pull it, asking you can do it. And he reaches down there, and you could just, he just reached in, down to the bottom of his little two-year-old strength barrel. And he grabbed that blanket and he pulled it and he leaned backwards and the thing came free. And he looked up at me and he was the happiest thing in the world because he'd done something. And see, that's the way it is with God in us sometimes. God, yes, he could go and retrieve whatever it is in your life that you got stuck. He can do that. But a lot of times he's going to be your encourager and your strengthener and your cheerleader. And your best friend, he knows what you can do. And a lot of times he's just going to be there to encourage you to do those difficult things that whatever you do would be a blessing to you and a blessing to other people. That's the way he works. And in 2011, sort of in a nutshell, maybe if you don't remember anything else today, maybe that's the thing you need to remember. Okay? He can do everything for you. But chances are you're going to have to contribute a little bit. Ain't that right? How many of y'all been contributing for a while? Raise your hand. How many of y'all been stuck? Yeah. Well, you know what? You're coming free now. And all that investment that heaven's made in you, you're about to begin to see some, some reward to that, okay? But anyway, getting back to Suzanne, she shared a scripture, and I'm going to read her scripture, but in the context of, of the larger passage that it's centered in, and whenever I get to it, I'll identify that for you, okay? This is Genesis uh, 26. And this is talking about Isaac, the son of Abraham. 
Now, I, I got a bunch more scripture, but I think what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to kind of stay here in this text and, uh, and not do a whole lot of other scripture. I might, but, but the Lord has kind of been dealing with me with some things in this passage, and, and I think there's some stuff He wants to show us for the new year. Okay? Genesis 26, verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land... Besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now, just kind of... Let's kind of go back just a little bit and just talk a minute, okay? Now, here's Isaac, full-grown man, has a lot of responsibilities, got to feed his family. He's living in a land which he was actually a stranger in that he was going to later receive for an inheritance or his offspring would. You know the story. His, His promises were tied with the promises that God made Abraham, his father. So here we are. He'd received all the promises of the Lord, and he believed those promises. Except there was a little problem here. And the problem is, there was a famine in the land. Things all of a sudden began to not look so good anymore. Every time they went to the cupboard, so to speak, the cupboard was a little more bare. Every time they went to the granary, there was less grain. Every time they took the, the carafe of olive oil, there was a little less. And from the looks of things, in the natural scheme, from the looks of things, it was going to get a lot worse. I mean, you didn't have to be uh, smart or intelligent to figure out that the famine had hit. You know, one of the things I, I, I learned about living on the farm was how closely we were tied to rainfall and temperature variations and changing of the seasons. And if everything didn't go right, we didn't make much. But if everything was wonderful, everything was wonderful. Seemed to me like I was more conscious of the times when we were making bad crops than I was when we were making good crops. I was more conscious of how bad... The livestock market was back when I was a teenager when it was eight when the pigs were selling for eight cents a pound than I was when they were selling for forty two cents a pound. You know, isn't that interesting how we tend to notice when things get bad and a lot of times when things are good it just kind of just kind of breezes past our consciousness. And so God brings the the slack times. They're cyclical, yes, and all that kind of thing. But God God brings the the slack times a lot of times to draw our dependence on Him and also to remember the promises that He made us. Because when things are good, let's just be honest for a minute. When things are good, do you really need the promises of the Lord? Do you really remember them that much? Chances are not because you're just enjoying them so much. You don't have to remember them. You're just living in the bounty of the moment. Sounds like the uh, early 1990s, doesn't it? Things were good. And then 2008 and 2007 came along and all of a sudden, it's not quite the way it was anymore. Well... God will bring those things into our lives sometime to call our attention to our need for Him and our need to believe. And brothers and sisters, I think the church today, I think the people of the Lord are at a place where they need to believe again. 
Need to believe in what God has said. Need to believe in His promises because when God spoke to Isaac, He reminded him, He said, I told this to your daddy and I'm telling it to you. The same things that were applicable to him and his inheritance, the same things are applicable to you. And here's another point I want to make today. The same promises that were applicable to the church after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, those same promises are effectual for us today. The same promise of the cross is effectual for us today as it was in the day that Jesus went to it. Nothing's changed. We just tend to forget about it a little bit. And so when the Word says that, or when God says that He was going to send His Spirit into all the earth, I believe He's going to do that. I believe He's doing it today. I believe He has done it. And I believe He will continue to do that. I believe there's going to continue to be a harvest. I believe there's going to continue to be the work of the gospel ministry. And I'll tell you something else. I think it's going to pick up. Simply out of necessity. If nothing else. Because I am sensing a a definite change in the posture of how the body of Christ is reacting to the influx of idolatry and Wickedness in the earth. I'm sensing that. I'm sensing it in my own life. And I'm sensing it as as we talk. I'm I'm picking up little bits and pieces from, from some of you. About how aware you are. That God is doing something. And so the same promises that were made to the early church, through the work of Jesus on the cross, that they lived in, that they functioned in, that they were able to apprehend and put into practice in their lives. The same promises are available to us. It hasn't changed. And so as Isaac walked in that, he had a a confidence there. But the trouble was, there was a famine, and the Lord called him to leave where he was to go into the land of a stranger for provision. Now let me just kind of, kind, of, kind of spiritualize just a bit. You know, this is what we do in the Western church. We kind of spiritualize things a lot. Well, listen. We're coming out of a time of famine. In lots of ways. We're coming out. And, and, and the Lord, in all of His wisdom, was moving Isaac out of a place where famine was into a place where, in the natural, it didn't look much better But God was going to do something there. Now as we move forward toward 2011, it might not look a lot better where you're sitting. But the difference in 2011 and 2010 is God's going to do something in addition to all that stuff in 2011. Okay? Now I'm standing before you. This is not a bunch of hype. I believe what I'm saying. I really believe what I'm saying. And so there is the quantitative difference. Is that it may look the same, but God is, His timetable, we've talked a lot about the timetable of the kingdom recently. Now God's ready to do something. And in in Isaac's life, here's what he did. Isaac went to Gerar. Whoa, wait a minute here, I just lost everything. That ain't good. Ah, there it is. Isaac went to Gerar, he did exactly what God said. Believing what God said. Verse 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. (laughs) Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's so beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. In other words, he was acting like a man would toward his wife. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why do you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech gave orders to the people, Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, where did Isaac learn all that from? 
his daddy. Abraham did the same thing. Isaac was watching what his daddy did when he was younger because Abraham did the same thing. Now Isaac is repeating the same mistake in life as daddy. How many of y'all said, <laughs> I've said this recently, I'm not going to grow up to be like my mom and daddy. <laughs> you have thought about that? A lot of times we do that. I, I'm, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. I'm not going to go where they did, so to speak. And lo and behold, when we open our mouth, we begin to sound like them the older we get. Look in the mirror, we begin to look like them the older we get. Guess what? That's part of your pedigree, I suppose. But the point here is, is we don't need to make the mistakes of our parents, but in this case, and I'm not making an excuse for Isaac, but I'm going to put things in perspective for you. Isaac was a screw-up too. Now this is no excuse for you or me, but this is just a fact of life. Isaac messed up too. And you, you know what that caused God to do in the great scheme of things of what He was going to do in Gerar? Nothing. Not a thing. God performed exactly what He was going to perform toward Isaac anyway. Was no excuse for His humanity and no excuse for lying. But the sovereign Lord of all the earth had a plan. And the only way He could get His people where His people needed to be was to bless His people. And the Lord told Isaac, you got to keep all my commandments, you got to keep all my laws, all my decrees, da 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 This is your responsibility, Isaac. Isaac did that to the best of his ability, but he messed up. But God performed his plan anyway. Now you listen to me, as you step off into 2011, you don't have a license to sin, and you really don't have an excuse. Period. But I'm going to tell you something. God's going to perform His Word in the earth. And He's going to perform it in a strange land because as we leave 2010 and we go into 2011, it's going to feel like we're going into the land of the Philistines because the landscape has changed. It's going to feel like we're in a foreign land. How many of y'all listen to the news or read the paper or hear people comment and it feels like you're living in a strange country right now? You know, Roger, it's changed since, since you and Phil have, have gotten back. Since y'all have been away and got back, it's changed, hasn't it? You can tell. There's a difference. And most of the differences ain't good either. And it feels like we're living in somebody else's land. It feels like sometimes almost the old laws and the old ways and the old standards don't apply anymore. And there's a lot of anxiousness. And there's a lot of concern. And there's a lot of, if I could say this, a lot of worry in our country, because it feels like it's not our country anymore. And so as we go forward into 2011, God's got something out there that He's going to do. And here's, what, here's the word that Suzanne shared with us. Beginning in verse 12. So what did Isaac do? He went into this land, he believed God. What did he do? He planted crops in that land. And the same year, he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Why? Because the Lord blessed him. Was he a perfect creature? Definitely not. But you know what? God wanted to bless him. And God didn't bless him just a little. He blessed him a hundredfold. Let me kind of put this in perspective for you. This will be real quick, but you listen to me. I think in terms of planting a crop, a lot of times biblically they talk about corn or, or wheat. Corn, a lot of times in the Bible, means wheat. Corn could mean small grain. Well, the last small grain that we planted here back on the farm this past year was a wheat crop. We took our big old drills and them great big old four-wheel drive tractors and we planted wheat. Lots and lots and lots and lots of wheat. Well, we use anywhere from one and a half to two bushels of wheat seed per acre. Now, using modern equipment, modern technology, modern fertilizer techniques, modern agronomic practices, 
You know, if you make 35 to 40 bushels of wheat, I'm doing pretty good. 35 to 40 bushels is just a 35 to 40 return. 35 to 40 fold. <laughs> Isaac planted ever how, many, ever how much seed he planted. It was not the modern stuff that we have, but it was, it was the genetic fathers. The genetic, had the genetic characteristics of what we have today. But it was not advanced. It hadn't been bred up genetically or all that kind of stuff. It was just wheat seed. He planted his wheat and he got a 100-fold return during a time of famine. Let me ask you a question. And this is, this is kind of a setup and you, you participated in this in church before. I forgot what I was going to say. I'm probably the only preacher in town that would admit that. But anyway, 100-fold. Planted it in the land that was in famine. And God blessed him anyway. Now, a hundredfold? That means for every bushel of seed he planted, he got a hundred back. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty good. We can't do that today. But when God breathes on it, when God blesses it, when it's in God's program, and you respond to what little bit you think you had or what little bit you've left, and you respond to it and you just simply be obedient to the Lord, my golly molly, a hundred for every one you invest. Now, that means, let's see, if I invest one, I get a hundred. If I invest two, I get two hundred. If I invest ten, I get a thousand. If I invest, you see, that's the way it goes. Now, where are you putting your stuff this next year? You need to put it with the Lord. And it doesn't matter if it's your time, your talents, your tithe, your offering. You put that with the Lord. Because here's the word I got. This is the word. I, Suzanne brought this up. And she made the point that day in October that in the same year they had Isaac had his harvest the same year he planted. What's our habit as, as charismatic people? We always look at harvest next year. Think about that. Harvest next year. Calendar flips over. Oh, next year's going to be a year of harvest. Guess what? Isaac got his the same year he invested and sowed. Because he took what he had, he planted it and was obedient, and God brought forth an increase. Here's what I've heard this year. Whatever we carry forward into 2011 and plant, it's going to bring a harvest in that year. It's going to bring a harvest in 2011. Not 2012, in 2011. Why? Because God is anxious to show His favor on His people now and not later. Because He's going to go contrary to the rules and the laws of, of the natural. And He's going to do something supernatural. You see, we're walking into that age now where the supernatural has become more and more and more prevalent. And it's got to be demonstrated and displayed in every facet of the body of Christ. As the world looks at her. Now, I intend to plant everything I can and everything I am supposed to with the Lord. But there's a flip side of this. And this is what the Lord's, this is something else the Lord showed me. Whatever I carry forward into 2011 that I shouldn't is going to bring a harvest too. Now see, there's two sides to this thing. If I carry forth... Okay, let's start with something just very general. If I carry my pain into 2011, I'm going to reap a harvest. Okay? If, let's go a little further. Begin to define. If I carry my issue out of 2010 and... 
planted in 2011. It's going to bring a harvest. My issue is going to bring a harvest in 2011. Let's, let's refine it a little more. If I, if I am envious, or if I am covetous, and I bring that out of my life, 2010 into 2011, and I plant that, it's going to bring a harvest. If I lie, if I base 2011 on a lie, I'm going to bring a harvest. You see what I'm saying? And I don't want to belabor this point. But my mindset, if I carry a way of thinking into 2011 that's contrary to what God has revealed to me, contrary to His purposes, contrary to His promises, contrary to His ways, if I carry a carnal thought as a principle forward and use it in 2011, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's going to... Release a harvest in my life. And so therefore, as I approach 2011, what I have, I want to bring it over. And I, listen, I've done crossed over in a way. But I want to bring everything positive and everything good and everything holy and everything righteous and everything just and everything merciful and everything good. I want to bring all that stuff forward and find a field somewhere to plant it. Because I know every drop of it is going to bring back a hundred drops. Every grain of it is going to bring back a hundred grains. You see? Because I'm looking, God spoke to me. This is me, you know? And, and, and it's totally, you, you view what God, it's possible that you may view what God says to me as totally subjective. And that's okay. It's all right. But I know what I've heard. And so I've done a bit of house cleaning so far. And I'm continuing to do it every day. And God's bringing up this stuff that He doesn't want me to plant and carry over to 2011. And He's nipping that kind of stuff in the bud right now. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if I rebel and I refuse to let God do the snipping, it's because it's painful or it hurts or it's what I'm used to or it's what I'm comfortable with, then I'm going to catch a whirlwind of it. I remember one time, let me just try to tell you this story. When I was in high school, I was an avid ball player. And it doesn't, it doesn't look like it. I don't have the physique of an athlete right now. But I'm working on that too, bless God. Amen. It'll be a 53-year-old athlete, not an 18-year-old. My abs and my pecs may not quite show like it used to, but by golly, some stuff just won't be there for you to see in a couple months. You got them insulated. Okay, so my abs and my pecs are more, they're more, they're more curvy now. They're softer now, okay? And I'm kind of okay with that, but I'm trying to reduce the size of that, okay? It's fluffy. I'm trying to get out of the fluffy sizes, But God's cutting away some stuff. And, and I, I know most of you, and we've had some little conversation somewhere along the way, and I know God is working with you in that area too. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a harvest this year for stuff that we're planting this year. And I want, we, need to, we need to really concentrate and make sure it's a good thing and not miss that harvest. Now, for those of you who've been around the last 10 years, you know. If you know me and you know the way I preach and minister, and if, if your memory's working, you'll know that I hadn't, I don't think I have, maybe once in 10 years, stood before you and gave a prophetic word for the next year and mentioned something about a harvest. We hear that all the time. We live in anticipation of it. But I think sometimes it's what we expect. It's what we think God owes us. It's what we think He ought to do for us. Rather than being in the center of His time frame. And us being obedient. I think sometimes we just think God owes it to us. 
God's moving people. He's bringing promises to the forefront. And it's okay to believe in God's promises. Stand on them. You're going to have to. There's going to be a day coming when you're going to need that. And it's coming real soon. Matter of fact, it is today. But watch what this says. (laughs) The man talking about Isaac became rich. And his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. Remember now, this was a time of famine. It was not quite as bad as it was. It was not quite as bad in Gerar as it was where he had been. But this was a time of famine. And he increased exponentially in every area of his life and stewardship. This, this, This gets better. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. He had so many flocks and servants that the Philistines envied him. Let me tell you what else I believe. I believe in this year, people are going to begin to look at the body of Christ, people on the outside, people who are struggling now, just like maybe we have been struggling for five, six, and seven, ever how many years. God is about to do something in the body of Christ because He's promised it and it's time and the world around us is going to look at the body of Christ and they're going to say, wow, you see what they got? You see what God's doing in their life? You see all the trappings of their experience in this world? I want that. Now, it's going to really make some of them mad. It's going to make them jealous in a bad way. It's going to make them envious in a bad way. I'm just going to say that enemies are going to be made. There are enemies out there now. There's enemies to the cross of Jesus out there now. And it's going to get worse. But you know what? We win. And just because they don't like the cross does not make it of none effect. Just because they don't like the gospel doesn't mean they can discount it by saying, oh, it's just a fairy tale. Just something written in an old leather book somewhere. It's all just fables anyway. Listen, that does not take away the validity of what Jesus did and, and the historicity of what he did. See? That, that, that does not, that's not going to have any effect. So some people are going to take it in a, in a really bad way, but other peoples are going to be jealous because it appeals to them and they're going to see a need in their life that God has met in your life. And they're going to come to you and they're going to say, you know, I really need to know about this. Let me share with you a miracle what God's doing with me and my wife. This is the truth. So help me, Jesus. I'm going to put it out there flat like it is. 2008, we filed bankruptcy. November 2008. Thought my world had come to an end. Really did. I never will forget the day we walked in there to the uh, trustee's office. Well, it was the courtroom. Us and about 50 other people. I thought you'd be given a little bit of privacy. Boy, I tell you what, when you file bankruptcy, it ain't no privacy. He had a desk sitting right out there in the middle of the room, and he just called them all up by name. And then, and then he would talk about your case. How much money you were going to file he looked at you and he said, okay, uh, what chapter is this? Chapter 11, 13, or 7, or whatever it happens to be. I never will forget, we filed chapter 7, total liquidation. He said, how many vehicles do you have? And I told him, I, and he said, where's your house? And we told him that. Um, he said, I said, something about the, what we're going to give up. I said, yeah, you can have the house. And I said, you can have all these vehicles. Too. Every single one of them if you want to. Every one of them. I said, I said, listen, I said, we lost somebody else's money. You can have whatever you think is, whatever you need, you can have. Everything's on the table. I started to say spoons and forks too, but <laughs> I didn't say that. But here's the thing. Miracle number one was he let us keep all our vehicles. All of them. All of them. And, and they were all paid for except one, which that was just like been free money for him, you know. Never did take a vehicle back. Well, we give it to them, and it takes uh, until February of 2000, 
Ten? Something like that? That was, was a very complicated thing. And um, we gave him our house. February of 2010. It was discharged in it was January. I think it was January it was discharged. And about a week later, we got a letter from the mortgage company saying they were going to foreclose on our house. I mean, we done give it, we give them the option of taking it back. We lived there all that time and hadn't paid a, anything. And so we're just going to give it back. So I proceeded to look for somewhere to live. About two weeks after that, we got a letter. Well, from the mortgage company saying, well, you know, we'd rather y'all live there than somebody else. And so that began a process that some days make you want to pull your hair out. It was a lengthy process, and it was full of all sorts of aggravation. Right up to the point, now, now this, is, this is testimony, and you're going to relate to this when I get right up to the point of November. They had run, how many of y'all saw our house advertised in the paper? I just want to see this. How many of y'all saw it? One, two, two of you? Oh, the rest of y'all had to see it. Y'all just have not have been reading the paper. Don't read, Judy doesn't read that section. But anyway, they were going to sell our property on the second Tuesday in November. Well, two weeks prior to that, they'd sent Janie a packet, and we'd signed everything and sent back off to them that we had a new mortgage. But the mortgage company was working against itself. They got, they got the loan department and the foreclosure department, and they don't talk to each other. We found that out the hard way, too. But anyway, am I, t- am I right so far? My story's right. Because she's my, she's my official corrector. Official corrector. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm not complaining. She keeps me on my same page. But anyway, here's what happened. We had signed the mortgage papers two weeks before, but we hadn't heard anything from them. Not a thing. We shipped it out overnight. And I can tell you lots of details about that that make you pull your hair out or made it once to pull our hair out. But it's not important for this story and this purpose. I'll tell you that some other time. Anyway, here's the program. We hadn't heard anything from them, and we thought the thing was still on go. And this was the coldest Tuesday we've had in 10 years. That Tuesday came around. I went down to the courthouse. It was so cold I couldn't stay in my car. I had to go inside and sit on a little bench. And they sell stuff between 10 and 4. They don't have a particular time. So if you're going to, stuff's going to be sold or if you're going to buy something, you just have to, you just have to have the patience of Job and the endurance of you know, an elephant or something. So just a little while, this little dude came up. He goes outside. He looks around. He's got his big old furry hat on and his big old coat. It was cold. He comes back inside. He speaks to the deputy there at the metal detector. And uh, then he goes back outside. The deputy comes over. He'd seen me around. He said, uh, he came over. He said, you're here for the foreclosure sale, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, this man out there, he's, he's, he's reading the stuff off now. And so I just go out there and I just get on the front porch. It was cold. The wind was blowing. It was, it was below freezing. That was, the, that was the first day it was so cold. Wasn't used to it. Stood there with this guy. He's reading the stuff off, and he's looking at me. And he's looking at me. When he got to reading the first, he said, which one are you interested in? I told him. He looked through his stack, and he couldn't find it. Listen to what I'm telling you. He couldn't find the property. I said, where is it? He said, it might be in my truck. We had a couple of called off. He said, when I get through reading all this stuff, he said, I'll go out and get the stack and see if yours is in it. Well, he gets through. He goes out and gets it. He comes back and says, I'm sorry. Yours was not one of the two that were called off. I said, I said, where's the paperwork on the property? He said, I don't have it. I said, who do you work for? He said, so and so and so and so. I said, could you call them and see if they have it? He calls up there. They don't have the paperwork. Okay? And so far as we know, all that's off. That's done with because, you know, once stuff like that comes out of the thing, you don't get any more information. Sent off the mortgage paperwork. So far as we know, so far as we know, in a couple weeks, they'll send the final stuff in here, and effective February, we'll have our house back. I've never known of anybody, listen to me, I've never known of anybody, and I'm not saying this bragging, I mean, listen, you know, I'm not proud of bankruptcy, that's stuff we had to go through, but here's the thing, I've never known of anybody who has a story like that. You, you file bankruptcy, you give them your house, you give them your cars, and they give it back to you. See, that's the long and short of it after two years. They gave it all back. We lived there without making payments. 
Listen. <laughs> it's the weirdest. It's the, I'm telling you, our story's weird. But here's the thing. God wants us there evidently. The only thing I can figure out is this. He's not blessing us because we've done everything purpose. He wants us there for some kind of a testimony. And 2011 is the year that we officially get everything back. All of it. Including the crack in the driveway. Including the messed up tile. Including the carpet that needs replacing. Including the pool that needs fixing. But you know what? (laughs) He is supplying all the money to get that done. Swim parties at my house all summer. Yeah. That's what we do on Sundays at my house, in Janie's house. I'll tell you, I'll give you the, what, we, what we do is, we'll supply you all the hot dogs you can eat, and the buns, the ketchup and the mustard, and the ice. You just bring a bag of tater chips and your cold drink. That's it. But see here, I'm telling you, I am telling you now that we are receiving a harvest in this year. Not next year. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing now, you need to embrace this and simply believe because God said so, you're getting a harvest in this year. It might not look like you want it. It might not be like you thought it would be. But I promise you, if it comes from His hand, it is good. And it is pure. And it is holy. It is righteous. And beyond that, it is exactly what you need. And He wants to set you as a sign and wonder. Remember last week, we talked about, we changed the definition of a sign. And a sign in the Bible, most of the time, is a person. This shall be a sign unto you. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth her firstborn son. She was a sign. Jesus was a sign. You are a sign to this generation that God's going to do what He said He's going to do. Men, listen. When I, this is her, this, this, you know, when, when she brought this word to October, I had no idea it would have this kind of impact on my life. But see, that was a word for the Lord. It's not patting her on the head and she did such a good job. No, I'm telling you now. It was the voice and the breath of God that brought it forth and applied it by a spirit. Now, I got this thing. And I let any of y'all have it who wants it. I'm trying to convince you. And yeah, it's my birthday and I want to dance. You know? Y'all know the reason I don't dance on Friday nights? I'll share that with you in a couple months. Because in a couple months, about two or three months from now, I'm going to cut loose on a jig one Friday night and I ain't going to announce it. I know it's going to be all over this place. Yeah. <laughs> a harvest in this year. Have y'all, got, have y'all got, can you carry that home with you? A harvest in this year. A hundredfold harvest against anything that's conceivable by terms of the natural mind. You can't believe it. You can't conceive of it. You can't fathom it. You can't wrap your head around it. Your life, you know, the buckets that you have are too much to contain what God's going to do in 2011. Yeah, I, it's just, it gets this. Where am I, oh, there it is. Let me finish this up and then we'll, we'll have it. I want to encourage you this morning. All right. Now, Isaac wasn't done. <laughs> he wasn't done with this. Verse 15. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines were so jealous, they stopped them up, filling them up with earth. They didn't want them to have anything to drink in this time of famine. You need to expect the enemy to give you a sucker punch. You know, have you ever felt the enemy give you a sucker punch? Well, everything's going great. The harvest's coming in. It's exponential. It's extraordinary. It's extravagant beyond degree. Well, he'll let you have something to eat, but you can't have nothing to wash it down with. 
sucker punch. So the enemies of Isaac stopped the wells up that his father Abraham had dug. Now watch this. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped by the valley of Gerar and settled there. Which, that's right where God told him to go anyway. (laughs) So what they did to him just drove him deeper into the possession that God said he was going to have. Y'all get that? Okay, as long as you got it. And watch this. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. <laughs> there's, a, there's a well of fresh water that's going to go along with the harvest in 2011 that you didn't even know was there. Man, that, y'all, I believe this is a prophetic word. I mean, you know, I just believe it is. I take it anyway. So they dug this well of fresh water there, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water's ours. So he named the well Essek, which means contention, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one, and so they called it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. He got to the well that God wanted him to have, where there was no contention and no strife, and he recognized it and sanctioned the name of it as a blessing from the Lord. Because his enemy couldn't put his hand on it. You know, here's here's one of the chief differences between the enemy and God. The enemy has got an arm that only reaches so far. God's got alarmed, arm, the scripture says, is not shortened. Which means his arm is longer than it needs to be. The enemy's is shorter than it needs to be. In an extension contest with the blessing of the Lord to give you what God has promised, the enemy can't extend his arm as far as God can. Okay. Okay, verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. <laughs> this, listen, he, 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 God pronounced another blessing on him even after he had more than he could handle, more than he could number. God blessed him beyond the exponential. He told him again. He said, I'm going to bless you again. I'm going I'm to bless you again. You know, and Isaac blessed his heart. He has, you know, this is the way I just kind of look at it. You know, you can look at it any way you want to. Isaac blessed his heart had to be thinking, I can't carry what I got now. He's got to give me more service just to carry the bounty and the blessing and the inheritance off. And then he's got to give me people to watch over it, to protect it. What a problem. All this in the same year that he planted to start with. It's, you know, it's not another year. It's the same year. Good gracious of life, y'all. Man, I like this. Whew. And then his response to that was, he built an altar and called, the name, called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. And Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? And they answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between you and us. We will make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. Now you are blessed by the Lord. (laughs) We saw that the Lord was with you. I'm going to tell you something. There's people sitting in this room right now who's going to hear that spoken in their ear this year. We saw the Lord was with you. We saw the Lord was with you. Why can't that person be you? Why can't that person be me? Why can't that person be Janie? 
Why can't it be Timothy? Why can't it be Tanisha? You know, why can't it be Suzanne? Why, why can't it be Warren? You know where, in terms of you, where does that start? I, I realize, of course, that it's got to do with God's kingdom plan, and I realize, of course, it's got to do with His plan for your life, and we could talk about God's part of it all we want to, but where does it start with you? That's right. And it starts right up here. And it starts here. You know, the Christian life is simple, but it's also complex. Everything starts with belief on our part. God has done all His work. He sent Jesus on the cross to save us. We have to receive that. We receive His gift of salvation. God sent Jesus to the cross. We have to believe that by His stripes we're healed. Once we get a hold of that, then we can pray for the sick and we'll begin to see stuff happen. Jesus was sent to the cross. Because of that, people receive deliverance and freedom every day. It starts right here, and it starts right here. I'm encouraging you today to just believe. You know what? One of the hard lessons in my life is that if I turn God away here or here, and I don't embrace what he said is truth and real, and that becomes impregnated into my faith, if I don't believe that, I make his practical promises of none effect in my life. Because he's simply not going to bless a heart full of unbelief. You ready for a harvest? Amen. Suzanne, you need you want to say something? Suzanne wants Su- Suzanne wants five minutes. You got it. The end of your message, you've done stirred me up to preach. How many rest y'all stirred up to preach? We'll give you five minutes. Woo! It needs to be that way. You know what I heard a preacher say one time? He said, "Good preacher to make you want to preach, and bad preacher to make you want to preach too." <laughs> Well, I was thinking uh, the whole time he was there, I mean, you know, the Spirit of the Lord just wouldn't let me uh, enjoy the message for wanting to show me more things. And, um, but, um, you know, we're talking about here about Isaac uh, digging the wells and, uh, and about the blessing and uh, about this year being a, a year where we can enjoy the blessings. But uh, this is what the Lord was giving me. And uh, he had given this to me for uh, 11, the instructions for uh, 2011. And, uh, and the instructions were uh, a two-fold or two-step, and it goes right along with his word today. And the first step is that it's in Matthew 6, 20, I mean 33, 6, 33, just a familiar scripture, Matthew 6, 33. And it's, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Well, that sounds like a little, almost like a little cliche. Oh, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that. But let's go back and think about it a minute. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then all of the details are going to be taken care of. Now, the details are those things about the blessings, about that we're going to reap this year a hundredfold this year. All that sounds good. But now, what lines us up to experience that? Well, if you go to Romans 14, 23, there's scripture in there that talks about what we do and what we don't do. You know, he said, first of all, that Isaac sowed. And Brother Keith was saying, we've got to sow in this next year. But he also says in Romans that anything you do that's not faith, is sin. So whatever we're doing in 2011, if we can't do it with clear faith, 
then we don't need to be doing it because then it's sin. It turns into sin. So if you cannot sow and sow in faith believing, you know, for God's blessings, if you cannot receive this word by faith, it's not going to work for you. So all of these things has to be by faith. And if it's not by faith, then it turns into something that God's not pleased with, which is sin. Now, the second step of this, you know, the Bible says, for the kingdom of God, he said, first, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then the word tells us, for the kingdom of God is three things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Well, basically, in a nutshell, this next year, we've got to begin to walk in righteousness. We've got to begin to do what's right. Just do what's right. Just do the right thing. Whatever the right thing is. Just do the right thing. And when you do the right thing, you're going you're gonna to be able to walk in peace. Because by doing the right thing, we can experience peace. When we don't do the right thing, we don't know peace. Because when you sin, when you don't follow what God's telling you to do, then that turmoil is going on inside of you all the time. Because you didn't follow the instructions of God. So peace comes by doing the right thing. And then joy. And so what I'm going to narrow that down to say is this. In this next year, to dig the well, I think the wells is that digging in us. Digging and getting all the stuff out that's not what we need to be. Digging up and get all that stuff out. Digging the well so that righteousness and peace and joy can begin to flow. Because I'm telling you, when you're walking in righteousness, which we know that our righteousness is not of ourselves, it's through the blood of Jesus. We're righteous through the blood. But we walk in that by doing the right thing. So, as we are digging deep inside of ourselves, and we are walking in righteousness, we are walking in peace, and we're walking in joy, then out of us begins to flow rivers of living waters and we begin to to enjoy the blessings. God is then able just to open up the floodgates of heaven, the blessings and everything we need to see the hundredfold return. Am I making sense? Am I getting this to connect? Because even if we're out there trying to get this promise that's come about the hundredfold return this year, and we are not walking in, ki- in the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy, then we're going to struggle. The enemy's going to rob us from whatever little bit of the well that we got. We, he's going to say, no, that's my well. And then you're going to say, okay. And you're going to go and try to dig again. He's going to say, uh-uh, no, that's my well. And you're not going to see the hundredfold return. You're not going to see the blessings because the devil's constantly robbing from you. But if you seek first the kingdom, which I would say this, every day ask yourself, am I walking in a place where I can walk in faith, full faith, knowing that I'm doing the right thing? Do I experience peace and joy? If you're there, you're in the kingdom. You're walking in the kingdom. In that place is blessings. In that place is this hundredfold return where it doesn't matter what you do, you are being blessed. No matter where you go, you're being blessed. When you notice that you're not experiencing that uh, peace and joy, then ask yourself, where did I miss it? Where did I, you know, when did I not do the right thing? When did I not listen to the Spirit of the Lord? Go back to that place, repent, and go again. But I believe that this year is a year of seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. And his kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We've got to walk in. We've got to find a place of peace because that's what people out there in the world don't have. I mean, there is no peace out there in that world. Those people are so full of, of worry and uh, fear and, and troubles And when they see us walking in a peace that passes all understanding, when they see a joy in our in our smile in our face, they're thinking, "What in the world do you have that I don't have? What drug are you on? You know what's going on?" They're wanting to know what it is because it's supernatural. 
And sometimes we don't have it, you know, as, as Christians. And that's the problem. We need to seek first the kingdom every day. You know, am I walking in that peace and joy and, and righteousness? And if I'm not, what is robbing me from that? And get that corrected and stay in the presence of God. And whatever we do as far as sowing, we need to do it by faith. Because if it's not, if we can't do it in clear faith, then we're doing it in its sin. Even if it's a good thing, you know, if it's not, if you can't have a clear place in your heart knowing this is the right thing to do, this is what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes we have that and we don't want to do it. You know, God will say, uh, you know, give so-and-so some money. And you think, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to give my money. Uh, but you know that's the right thing to do. And you do it because it's the right thing to do. See, that is where there's peace and joy. And that is in, uh, in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there's blessings and prosperity and all sufficiency, no lack. And uh, God's calling us to walk in that place. And, uh, and I just, I'm excited about this next year. And uh, thank really? you for letting me share that. Thank you, Suzanne.